Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. The show that takes you on a deep dive into the the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all comes back to the industry. So um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I've completely been doing summer hours the last few weeks and um, I actually would like to make that a part of my life all year round. Uh, I am loving it. So if you have been following me on Instagram and Twitter, um, side note, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, catch up, you should, at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. Um, anyway, then you know I've been traveling quite a bit, eating a lot, and uh, drinking just a smidge. So let me take you on a quick tour of what I've been doing so that you can try some of these things as well. Um, so I hit El Rey's for some amazing tacos and margaritas before shaking my thing at the 930 Club, thanks to the cover band So Fetch, which was so much fun. Um, I was probably the oldest person in there, but I was having the greatest time. Uh, another quick escape to Fenwick, where we checked out the Good Earth Market. So this is a little off the beat path but um, a really good meal local products thoughtful menu great wine list um, definitely add to your list now during one of the many storms over the last two weeks I did duck into Rossica pen quarter for a feast all the usual faves hit the table but chef Vikram shared some of the new dishes he's working on I love that I get that opportunity um, and they are delicious. So keep your eyes open because a new menu is coming soon. I have been to Bucks Fishing and Camping uh, more times than I can count this summer. Um, and there's really a good reason for that. This is a neighborhood spot in the truest sense of the form. It is great for everything, whether it's a quick bite, a special occasion, an evening with the fam, Whatever it is, it always fits the bill. And um, no matter what I tell myself before I go to the restaurant, I'm always I always tell myself I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, order something new. It's totally not what happens. I always order the wedge because duh, it's a wedge and it's delicious. And I get the little steak, which is also delicious with their amazing French fries. Um, so if you haven't been in a minute or you haven't been at all, it's uh, completely worth hitting up. Um, I did check out the updated menu and renovated space at Perry's the other night. Um, I don't know what where that wallpaper is from, but it is fabulous, um, as is the lighting, as is the sushi. They are totally upping their game at Perry's. So again, if you've only hit the roof deck or you haven't been there in a while, add it back to your list. Um, and if you haven't noticed, I have been going around town with a camera crew because I've been doing some really interesting things. I just filmed a promo for Fairfax City Restaurant Week, which is coming up at the end of August, so stay tuned. But I'm also filming a bunch of promos for the Embassy Chef Challenge. So I've been hanging out with Embassy chefs and their ambassadors at both their residences and their embassies cooking with them and talking with them about their cuisines and their cultures and uh, what it's going to look like when the gauntlet is thrown for the Embassy Chef Challenge on October 13th. So, hmm, 
So other than that, let's see, I'm trying to think what else I've done, but I have had quite a few dinner parties. So um, I'll get into that another time because I have some amazing recipes for you about some easy, entertaining dishes. Uh, but let's get on with the show. Okay, there is a lot of sex appeal in the restaurant industry. Everybody wants to have a piece of it or be a part of it. All that eating and drinking, especially the drinking part, right? But it's work. Now, later in the show, I'm talking to Mike Turner and Chris Schmidt of Prestige LeDroit. Two of these guys I've known for a really long time, and they have really taken their passion and made it their profession, which not everybody can do. Prestige LeDroit has an incredible wine and spirit portfolio, and we are going to learn sort of the backside of the biz and how they make it all happen. But first, last week, Tom Sietzema sort of stepped in it. I mean... He totally stepped in it. He was asked in his chat about restaurants with uh, female sommeliers and did not name a single one. He said he knew of some restaurants, but off the top of his head, he could not think of a single name. Uh, well, needless to say, the women in the uh, hospitality industry had a lot to say and um, were able to truly make um, lemonade out of a big fat lemon. Uh, so Tammy Gordon is uh, a public relations executive and consultant, and she's been a part of the food industry for a long time. She has a great podcast. She um, is uh, on Instagram and she blogs and she's always got her fingers in it. So Tammy heard the call and did something about it, which is why I invited her on the show today. Hey, Tammy, how are you? Hey, I'm great. It's good to see you, uh, you know, on Zoom instead of in a restaurant once. <laughs> so um, why don't we tell everybody what happened? I gave a little preview, but let's like dig down deep for a second. Well, for me, it, it all sort of started because I got tagged in an Instagram post that flagged that in Tom's Q&A, um, which is the Washington, Washington Post chat on food that he does every week. Um, he had been asked whether or not he had favorite places where there were women's psalms, and he named a couple of restaurants, and then somebody else kind of logged in and named some. But I think the the community, particularly the community of women, women and wine in D.C., were a little bit outraged, maybe a lot outraged, um, that he didn't name names. I mean, there's so much talent in this space, and so it just sort of, I saw it started bubbling across social media. Mm -hmm. And I guess being the PR person that I am, my immediate response was, well, let's make a list for him so that he has an easy resource and any other media um, or folks who want that kind of information will not be able to be stumped again. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, along with um, Angie Duran and a couple of other folks in the industry, um, started building a Google document. And at this point, I think it's over 75 women in wine in DC. So it's been an incredible positive experience about something that, that maybe started off a little less than positive. Well, but were you surprised? I mean, so I was there at the beginning too. I saw what was happening. Angie posted a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Somebody had texted me about the chat. And I mean, I'm going to tell dirty little secret that maybe people in the industry know, but maybe the layperson does not know. I mean, that chat is not actually live. It right. in I mean, the chat itself is live, but those questions are taken in in advance. So right. like a team sources them. Right, the team sources them, he sees them. Now I'm not, ex I mean, 
I'm going to try to say this the right way. I'm not expecting Tom right off the cuff. Maybe sometimes, you know, somebody asks you a question and you have like a right. brain freeze, you can't remember. But like, we all have Google and uh, our phones. And he also has a staff who can help him. So, I mean, the fact that Nadine Brown did not pop out of his mouth first and foremost to me, I was like, I mean, that was my immediate response to when I first saw it bubbling on social media is like, good God, maybe you don't know like all of the talent or you don't think of the names right away. But like, how do you not let Nadine Brown fly off your tongue when well, because, somebody asks you about women and wine in D.C.? Well, because also Nadine is an actual psalm. And I, I wondered if maybe it got technical and it's yeah. a, a beverage person, still a yeah. song person. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that came up when we were sourcing the list. And I, I, you know, I, there's no, unof, you know, there's no official, you know, way to, to source the list. Um, but the way that we ended up doing it because of that was we started the top part is all Psalms um, and people who are beverage, uh, wine beverage directors at restaurants in DC. And then we took the folks like Nadine, who's a former Psalm, uh, you know, 20 years at Charlie Palmer, huge, like huge icon in the DC wine industry. And she does consulting now. And so you can't leave Nadine off the list, right? So, she's a, but we, she's a wine professional, she, right? So we built that into expert, the list right? as well, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of those folks, like you know, I know that our Lejoit friends have you know talent on their team that also um, is on the list, uh, and you know, isn't an active psalm in a restaurant. So we didn't want to leave those folks off. They may go back into a restaurant one day. They may come back. For me, this was really just to be a resource for media and industry. Um, with, that when they were looking for talent, they were looking to surface, you know, names or people you want to interview or people you want to invite to events or host wine tastings, you know, here's a great list for you along with all their Instagrams so that you can follow them and stay in touch with them and what they're preparing and where their career is taking them. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that you did it. I'm sort of curious, were you surprised as you were putting the list together about how large it was? I was. I mean, I have studied wine. I uh, I work with Julia Coney on Black Wine Professionals. So so I would say I have a certainly have a toe in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. And when I first saw the message uh, about Tom's chat, my sort of knee jerk reaction was like, oh, well, let's throw together a list. It'll probably be, I don't know, 2025. So 75, right. you know, was certainly a jump. And I, there were in, incredible, uh, you know, people that I hadn't met yet. And I'm planning on using the list as kind of a to-do list to work my way through this summer and go taste what, what wine they're pouring and what they're putting on lists and introduce myself to them. Well, I am going to be using it in the same capacity. I mean, I always look for ways to use my multiple platforms as a way to elevate people within theirs. So I'm definitely going to be using the list professionally and personally. Um, you know, some of the names on the list that I was sort of, I was like, oh, I didn't think they were like wine professionals, like Daniela Senor, right? I mean, I know she's an owner. Yeah. I didn't think of her in that capacity. So yeah. a lot of names on there that I know, and I know them, but I didn't think of them under the wine biz. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And I think Danielle is a good example. Um, you know, I, I sourced this list with several different people um, in the industry, uh, men and women that contributed names were great. Um, and Daniela was a, good, was a good point, right? She owns Colada Shop. She's, right. you know, really active in the community. And I was a little bit like, yeah, but like, what's the deal with wines? But she does manage and pick all of the wines for Colada Shop. And so why not? 
Box checked. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So so- I, yeah. I wasn't doing any kind of like, I'm going to check your SOM credentials, show me your W sets. You know, this is really more about like lifting up people in the industry and creating community more than it is kind of being a decider of whether somebody fits a bill or not. Well, and I love that. I mean, we can be flexible, right? There are no lines. So now that we're here and now we have this amazing list and we know how to use it, other than having it as just a resource, is there something else that can be done with it? Can we, are you getting creative with it? Yeah, I think so. We're talking about expanding it into the Virginia and Maryland wineries. Um, There's a ton of women winemaker talents, both owners and winemakers, Um, And so thinking about building it out there, I think it's a great resource um, for not just local media, but, you know, national media when they're coming to our market and they're looking for people to interview. And then when it comes to just the average sort of, you know, person that loves restaurants and loves wine, I think it's just a really good cheat sheet to say like, oh, you know, I've tasted with her at, you know, X place and now she's at Y place. I want to go there and see what the list looks like um, and and taste what she's going to do. So that's kind of how I would be using it. The other thing I would mention is like, don't short sell following these women on social media, Mm -hmm. um, particularly on Instagram. I think one of the things that allows you to build a following and have an audience that you're constantly talking to, it, it builds your credibility, right? It makes them more viable and more hireable ahead. So just the simple, you know, task of being like, okay, I'm going to follow that person can really help somebody's career and elevate their profile in a community too. So you know, big steps, small steps, uh, having it as a resource and just continuing to grow and maintain it ahead so that it stays current. Well, I love that. And I I appreciate you taking the initiative on it. I know it wasn't a one woman job. I know it was certainly not. (laughs) There's like five people in the document right now. (laughs) Well, and, but I will add, if you are thinking of stretching out, given uh, the distilleries in this area, that also you can go into and have drinks with. And there are, you know, some amazing women distillers there too. I don't know how far. Yeah, I've had, no, no, I agreed. And like, let's be clear, this is unpaid labor. It's the passion project. Um, But I, (laughs) but um, I definitely have had, you know, people in the distilleries and the cocktail space reach out. I've had, you know, women that work in the DC beer industry reach out. So maybe we do continue to build it as a resource. I think, um, you know, Angie and some of the other folks who've like led, uh, putting it together. I think we're going to regroup next week and maybe talk about like, what's the next, next iteration of this, you know, well, does, it, does it, Tammy, not to like insert myself in it, and yeah. I, but maybe offline, yeah. uh, you have to wrap up. Let's talk about how to get some financial, uh, some finances into it so yeah. that it's paid for and that it's up. I, I have ideas is my point. I think you can yeah. get extended and I think it's something that can be, uh, you know, can be kept up and uh, some, and that there are some finances for it. I, I thank you. And I appreciate that. I, I do think it will live on and it will probably continue to grow everyone. I think, you know, it started out as this kind of like little kind of thing that, you know, was an annoyance in the community and has really become this inspirational, mm-hmm. really cool group of people. And I, I can already see them building the next level of it. And I hope, I hope you and I can have a seat at the table to help them. Yeah, me too. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. You came in last moment. And I really appreciate it. Tell everybody, please, where they can find you on Instagram and Twitter and where you <laughs> find this list. Okay. So for, you can follow me on Twitter at Tammy, makes it easy. Um, it's T-A-M-M-Y. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Tammy Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. Mm-hmm. And the list is 
bit.ly. So bit.ly link bit.ly slash DC women and wine, all lowercase. Excellent. Well, thank you for your work and thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you. Have a good day. You too. All right. So as I said at the top of the show, it's hard to believe that being in the beverage business is a heavy lift. I mean, oh, boo-hoo, you have to sniff, swirl, and sip wine all day long or tasting whiskeys. That sounds terrible. But you know what? It's not easy. And uh, Chris Schmidt and Mike Turner are here today to talk about how they got in the booze biz and uh, the kind of work that's really involved in it. So, Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Our job's, our job's way more fun than you made it seem. <laughs> yeah. I think your jobs are fun, but I also think that there's a lot of work involved. You can always overwhelm a palate, right? I mean, how many whiskeys can you taste in a day? I mean, never mind. Don't answer that. I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> so let's start with the two of you. Mike, how did you get in the biz? So <clears throat> I started in restaurants. Uh, coming out of college at University of Maryland, it was actually faster for me to drive down Route 1, which became M Street to Georgetown, uh, than it was to go around the Beltway. I grew up just outside of Bethesda. Um, so it was easier for me to work in Georgetown as I was finishing my degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I started out- I think I met you when you were still in college at me and you, right? Correct. Yeah. And so I, I did a little bit of everything. I was there for uh, a little over 10 years, uh, basically from, just after they had sort of gotten up and running uh, through their original Ramy Restaurant of the Year award, through sort of uh, <laughs> how to run a business, shut it down in 2011. Okay, and so how'd you get into this? And what is so, this? What are we talking about? So in 2004, 2005, uh, there was a tasting group of uh, and basically, we would get together every Monday night at Bourbon and Glover Park and taste products that weren't available here. So whether it was Derek Brown bringing the first bottle of Dolan Blanc Vermouth to a tasting or uh, Jake Parrott when he was still uh, living in Northern Virginia and was a, a lay person to our industry, bringing interesting gins and whiskeys and aperitif digestif, we would taste product and found ways to uh, elevate beverage programs in the region. The first true speakeasy that I can think of in DC was mm-hmm. um, uh, was above Bourbon and Glover Park on Sunday and Monday nights that Derek and Owen Thompson and uh, Ben Long uh, sort of started. Uh, and that was Hummingbird to Mars. And so we said, we wanna up the beverage game of DC to be on par with the best cities in the country, dining destinations. How do we do that? And we asked the two largest distributors of spirits at the time, because that's where there was a hole. There were small, really good independent wine distributors, but not spirits. Uh, and we asked them to bring in these interesting products, Willet Bourbon, Dolan Vermouth, uh, you know, products to make classic uh, Violette drinks, purple drinks, um, and people wouldn't bring them in. So we started our own distribution company in 2007. And that was uh, called... LeDroit Brands, DC. Right. Okay. So that was called LeDroit because of the neighborhood? Yes. So our first warehouse was a building that uh, Bill Thomas and a couple of his partners uh, mm-hmm. were building. And there was an old accounting office that nobody was using. And so that was our original warehouse, which is now, Chris, what's the bar that's there now? It is the sister bar to McClellan's Retreat. Truxton? 
trucks. Yes, trucks and that meat. was our original warehouse. Was... For the win. Okay. Sorry, Brian. I didn't. I should have. Yeah, sorry, Brian. But Truxton Inn was our original warehouse. Um, oh wow, that's amazing. So, so that's exactly why it was called the Droid Brands. That's where we started, and part of it came from Bill's background in restaurants. All of his business names are the address that they're at, so he can't forget them. So it was Bill's reason that it was called LeDroit, for sure. Well, so let me bring in Chris now. So Chris, how did you wind up hooking up with Mike? Like, how'd you two get together on this? So Mike and I had become friends working in the industry, as you know better than anybody. The industry is a really tight community. And around 2008, 2009, we were trying to put together comprehensive and, and progressive cocktail menus and wine programs in the respective restaurants and bars that we were working. And through that, the, some of the large suppliers would hold banks or gatherings for some of their top buyers. And Michael and I crossed paths a few times at uh, a few events and then kind of really hit it off at uh, Absolute, did a, a fun activation with Simon Ford, who later became one of our suppliers, with Alan Katz, bartending, Chef Grant Packets from Alinea Cooking at the House of Sweden in Georgetown. And mm -hmm. We had remained in contact and became friends. I'd always go and check out uh, what Mike was doing at me and you. And it was, as you know, those are probably the coolest bathrooms DC's ever seen with the, the lounge singer and that was the, the, the cocktails he was doing. Yeah. The page. That I was remember. definitely one of the, the sexiest accounts or yeah. venues in the city. And he was taking over the as managing partner of the joint brands. And I had some experience with a local wine distribution company and we got to talking and I think we both realized I had a, a bit to contribute to his growth at LeDroit. And I'd been a, a big supporter of LeDroit brands as they were growing. And I was constantly trying to usher cool new brands their way as they were entering the marketplace or, or restaurants were open and had a need for specific products. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was over 10 years ago now, which is crazy to think as we discussed the genesis of the company. But we quickly realized, although I'm sure you didn't do too deep of a uh, professional references, they would have all come back as uh, relatively punctual, but prone to bouts of insubordination. But regardless of that, Mike decided to take a risk and then we joined him on his team as a partner and uh, build what was LeDroit Brands. And, and we realized, as he'll kind of touch on in a few moments, we realized there was a need to expand into Maryland. And uh, we started looking for some routes to do so. And uh, we met the team at Prestige and obviously they're- okay, Let's hear about business. Prestige. Who was Prestige and um, what were they? Like, how did you take sort of two great tastes and make them taste great together? Yeah, so we were really lucky in that Prestige Beverage Group existed. Um, Joey Smith, who founded the company in 2009, uh, his, his grandfather started Reliable Liquors, which became Reliable Churchill, which became Washington Wholesale, which became Breakthrough of Maryland and DC. Mm -hmm. And so- uh, his father, Jimmy, had taken over as chairman of Breakthrough of Maryland in 2000, and uh, Joey didn't want to work for a company that his family didn't own any longer, so he started his own distribution company in 2009, took over a company that existed in D.C. and Maryland. In 2010, added uh, a, a small company in Delaware and sort of merged them to handle D.C. to Delaware, which in our industry, most people wouldn't necessarily know this, but um, because Virginia and Pennsylvania have a lot of control where the state controls their alcohol, mm -hmm. this fits an interesting niche for a lot of our suppliers that are looking for someone to cover this area where they can't sell direct to the state, which they do in Virginia and Pennsylvania. Um, so it sort of is a nice 
region, regional coverage. People ask all the time, do you want to expand? We sort of don't really look at it that way because this is an area that all ties together. Um, you know, talking about uh, Chris's background and uh, there's a lot of sort of Philadelphia, Baltimore, DC crossover up and down 95. Uh, same thing, the people from DC, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, all go to the Delaware and Jersey uh, shore and beaches. So there's a lot of really good crossover between this regionality. Well, and, but I can, because I feel like we're getting a little wonky for a moment without giving people the, the details. So what is it that you both do, right? So not your titles, but what is it that the company does? How is what, what Prestige LaDroit does now, now that you've come together, how does it supply the market? How does it affect me, the layperson? How does it affect me, the restaurateur? How does it affect me, the bartender? Yeah, so I'll tie it in real quick. So just so you're aware, uh, Joey unfortunately passed away in 2016. His father put the deal together with uh, the current COO, Alex Thompson, and Dino, the sales manager, to bring the two companies together. Both of our companies provide wine and spirits to uh, both restaurants and retailers. The three-tier system doesn't allow them to buy directly from the producer or the importer. So we facilitate the warehousing, the delivery, a lot of the educational tools for, uh, you were talking earlier with Tammy, the sommeliers, the beverage directors, and the retail purchasers to understand the products, and we help them promote them as well. Okay. So I think that's really important for people to, to understand, because in some places, that's not the case, right? Like, you don't always need a conduit, but you guys are the conduit. Well, in, in our industry, it's a federally mandated uh, tier. So there's the producer or importer, us as the distributor locally, and then the licensee. So we can sell to anybody that has a license, whether you're a restaurant, a bar, or a store, or a caterer. We're not an importer, right? No, we are. So uh, there are some markets like Virginia, New Jersey, California that allow you to be both an importer and a distributor. Maryland specifically does not, DC is a little wonky about it, and Delaware does not. So yes, in these markets specifically as well, uh, below the federal mandate, statewide, you have to have those as well. Okay, so let's talk, now we can get a little wonky. Let's talk products, because that's the funnest part, right? So when it comes to products, what was uh, prior to the merger, what was uh, LeDroit's sort of claim to fame, you know, for the kind of products you were carrying, and what was prestigious claim to fame. And then when you merged, how did you find a way to work with that portfolio, the new portfolio? So when we merged, I was just gonna, I was gonna talk about prestige, then I'll let Chris talk about LeDroit. So prestige, because that's not the side that we came from, they had a much bigger uh, wine footprint than we did. So they represented the Kermit Lynch wine import book. Uh, they represented actually as a, we both represented uh, House Alpins in terms of aperitif. So that would be your Dolans, your Cokies, uh, Salaires, Rothman and Winter Cordials. So it was a nice fit that we both represented them, LeDroit in DC, Prestige in Maryland and Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, and so it brought a lot of those things together. Dreyfus Ashby, which handles uh, Domain Druin out of uh, France, Domain Druin out of Oregon, uh, represents things like uh, Chateau Petrus and uh, you know, a, a lot of sort of fun cordials from Massaday. And then I'll let Chris talk a little bit more about the history of LeDroit's product base. Okay. Yeah, and I should touch on it. It was super complimentary. I mean, the synergies of the teams, the, the portfolios complemented each other. There couldn't have been a, a better suited partner for us. And we merged in 
this August will be six years, which is crazy to think. And we opened like we had August 16th, we were one fully organized team with one portfolio in the marketplace without any hiccups. And a lot of that has to do with the same guiding principles that we had, Prestige had with building their portfolio. And LaDroit, we were a bartender created organization and the products that we had represented that we had anything that would be considered what craft spirits or kind of a craft beer is a craft of emerging spirits. And we were really deep in that, in that space. And we had uh, a, a really long list of mixable products, like Michael mentioned from House Offense, who started importing a lot of historic brands that years ago were globally known and kind of went by the wayside. And in the early 2000s, the cocktail renaissance that was taking place in New York, you saw a need for some of these historic units. And our book was built largely around that. And we had a, an iconic producer in Guyana Rum at uh, El Dorado, uh, Willett from Kentucky, and Redemption uh, Rye. One of the I was going to say, our original tagline was bourbon, rye, and other spirits at LaDroit. And really, when you take that into consideration, we were the, the kickoff point in our region for Willett bourbon, for uh, Redemption Rye, for uh, Black Adder, single cast, single malts. Uh, Murray McDavid, uh, Prestige actually had Signatory and Edward Hour in terms of Scotch distilleries. Um, we were one of the first to have uh, Martinique Rums, which Chris has gone to visit these amazing distilleries. Um, so we really were a, a bartender's choice. It doesn't take me anywhere, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, following Chris's coattails uh, for food, beverage, and distilling is a, is a win. <laughs> That's kind of part of how we built our portfolio. So I'm regularly speaking to bar owners, bartenders, store owners to get an idea of what they're buying or, or what they're being presented by some of the other companies and what they're more so what they're interested in. And, and we've used that as a, in guiding us and as we're building our portfolio. And for us, I look at them as kind of colleagues in the larger enterprise of the spirit of my world and using them as an ally and not just in finding products, but also getting introductions. We're very regularly getting introduced to producers from our community, but going out to, in our world, this restaurant community is so tight-knit, going out and chatting with chefs, chatting with some of the bartenders, what's exciting you, what are you looking for? And we've, we use that to kind of build our portfolio, basically challenging our community. And every time we bring in something that we think is going to challenge them too much, they ask for more. And it's, uh, been a fun ride to be a part of it. But is it so but for the you know for the lay person I mean to me you know if you look back 30 years ago especially into the distilling world and not that there weren't the wines there we just weren't asking for them right and maybe with distilling I mean if you look at DC Virginia Maryland there's d distilleries all over the place now that weren't there you know some even 10 years ago so if so many small markets now have, you know, distilleries, breweries, wineries, etc. So how do you go about sort of taking a look at all the products that are out there? Sometimes it even feels like bloated because there's so much. And how do you go about sourcing the right ones and then keeping it fresh, right? Because, you know, um, I don't know. I don't drink Hendrix gin, but I know people order a Hendrix gin martini. You know, how do you go about making sure that you have the kind of gin that's going to appeal to that drinker? You know what I and, mean? 
And it's interesting, you know, Hendrix now has five gins on the shelf. I was in a liquor store today and Vance, who represents them and who's local, who represents them for the country is an amazing brand ambassador. So mm -hmm. you see the product everywhere. And that's what we try to be. A lot of people try to fight over the same Pinot Grigio by the glass or Pinot Noir by the glass at your local restaurant. We really wanted to bring a level of service and product that was differentiated. We don't mm -hmm. call anybody on our team a salesperson. We call them all consultants. We believe that getting the customer what they're looking for the same way that we did when we were bartenders or waiters is going to help people elevate their game. We want DC, Baltimore, Delaware beaches when you go to visit them to be as good as any great dining city around the country. We're never going to be bigger than Manhattan or than San Francisco, but we can give the same dining experience that people think of when they go to New Orleans, when they go to Charleston, when they go to Portland. Like that's the way that we decided to build our company. And but to add to that, yeah. we're very deliberate about our portfolio. We want someone to look at our, our portfolio or our book of products and to look at it like it's a curated list. And some companies lose sight of that and they kind of just take on products for the sake of taking on products. And we are, like I said, really deliberate and not trying to create competition with some of our other producers, but also observing market trends, seeing what people are looking for. If a, a category like Mezcal, which thrives on kind of a, a larger portfolios and, and more kind of diverse offerings. So there's quite a bit, I mean, it's a philosophical, but also flavor profile thing. We're looking at, looking at it backwards. Okay, what holes do we have to fill? And then kind of trying to fill them out. But with the community here, we're very, very regularly introduced to producers, both small and large from, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people have a friend or a cousin who owns a distillery in X state. And for us, we love to have those first conversations and kind of seeing where they are. And sometimes we're not the right fit in the marketplace. Sometimes they're not ready to expand in this marketplace, but we're constantly trying to engage with them. So when somebody is ready to expand in our marketplace or we're looking for a specific product that fits their needs, we can kind of have, have them in our Rolodex. And Mike and I, we're also members of ACSA, which is the Craft Spirits Association. And we speak at their conventions yearly basically guiding them on that like find the right distributor in your market in a marketplace not just a distributor and they all come up at the end of the seminar it's like oh we'd love to have distribution in dc and it's like you need the right distributor in dc let's find if our, our, our needs suit each other and if we can hit your expectations and vice versa well but so to that point so you go into you you have a new gin product let's say how many gins do you guys have just roughly Mike hates gin, so we don't have too many. <laughs> we have 40 to 50 gins. He did tell me he doesn't like gin and tonics. I heard that. I it's a you know, it's out there, Mike. It is. I'll drink so, Negronis with you every day. Okay. <laughs> so how do you go to a restaurant or a store or something? How do you go and make sure they have the right gin? And how do you also make sure that I mean, how many gins? should they have right do you know what i mean like how does that work or or, or whiskeys I, I picked gin but we could do any spirit how do, you're helping these places curate so their bars when when we started uh when we took over ledroit in 2011 mm -hmm. my friday afternoon was always me and frankie at the gibson from 4 to 6 p.m i would show up with a bag of things that i didn't know what to do with and I'd say, Frankie, start making drinks. And we would just hang out at the bar. And I learned from my customer, technically, 
how to use these products. And he'd say, look, this gin has more floral notes. You can uh, use it with these cordials in your book. This one has more of the uh, the the spice of the juniper berry. Use that with, as, with something effervescent because it'll hold up to the tonic when you make it a long drink. Um, and so when I would go out, the difference between our side of the industry is that we are not making products. We don't actually create the drinks. We mm -hmm. sell paint to the artists. That's what the sommelier building their list is. That's what the beverage director creating their cocktail is. Mm -hmm. And so the person who sells red paint to Picasso doesn't tell them how to use it. They tell them why this paint is the red paint you want as the base ingredient mm. to make your painting. And so we try to understand the product, how it's made, how it's going to work in, in a mix, but we don't tell people how they should use it. Does that explain that a little better? I think that's an incredible metaphor and a great explanation. Um, and I think that really helps people who want to have a better understanding of how it works. Um, because we've all been in a restaurant or we've all been out and we see, you know, uh, somebody walk in with a bag and people are sitting at the bar and they're tasting things and it all looks so, you know, sexy and interesting and what are they tasting? Um, so it's, it's nice to know what goes into it in order, you know, for what you're bringing people, you're not just trying to throw anything at them. You're trying to find a fit. And the, and the three pieces that, and Chris is better than anyone at this in terms of using his palette to figure that out and his knowledge. I mean, he, if I had his photographic memory, I could do everything. But mm -hmm. basically what happens is, is that we look for products, Chris called it curated. The way to think of it as a layperson is best for the price point or best in category. When you're best in category, it doesn't matter what the price point is because it is by far the leader in that category. Mm -hmm. But if you're also, if someone says, I need a $10 Pinot Noir, our goal is to give them the best $10 Pinot Noir. We can't tell them you should have the best Pinot Noir ever made, which is probably going to be uh, a burgundy that costs you thousands of dollars a bottle. That doesn't fit what they're looking for, right? right. So that combination helps us curate that list. Well, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, uh a dive bar is not going to be serving the highest end, you know, spirits because that's not what their drinks cost, right? So you have to, every drink you make, you have to build it to make the cost make sense. So correct? You just made me smirk because we created a bourbon called High Dive that is designed so that if you were to go to the highest end restaurant or to a dive bar, because anywhere. you can have a drink of quality that is at a fair price point. Okay, I love that. Now let's talk about some things that are coming up. So I assume uh, summertime is busy because you're getting ready for fall. How do you guys go about sourcing seasonally? Like what does it look like for fall for you all? And are there some brands out there that you're both really hot on? Tell me what's happening. We don't typically seek to launch products based on seasonality. Sometimes we'll hold off launching our product because it makes sense for a certain time of year. And we, we've kind of fallen into that in, in September, we're launching a, a brand new, not a brand new distillery, new distillery to us called New Riff. They're based in Kentucky. Uh, and September happens to be, fittingly enough, na National Bourbon Heritage Month. Okay. So for us, it's a, it's a cool way of us championing a category. And New Riff is an amazing story started by retailers from Kentucky in, in 2014. So they're, they're about eight years old now. And they he ran one of the most important stores in Kentucky and one of his buyers kept going to these craft spirits conferences and the buyer came back and, and was talking to the owner and saying, hey, we should invest more shelf space for some of these craft distillers. And the owner said, nope, we should start our own. So they built New Riff and kind of being a new riff on an old tradition. And the for us, it's exciting because 
the month of September is a big and important month for us. We're very, very deep in the whiskey and bourbon category. They're mm -hmm. taking time out of their literally during the busiest week of the year to come to our market, launch with our team. We're going to have some fun activations in the marketplace. We'll do a tasting of Jack Rose with consumers. Um, but we're, we're always seeking out producers like that that are for one family owned. They have a clear succession plan. They make great products. They innovate where allowed and they just don't cut chances. They're kind of challenging the status quo. For us, it's exciting again to launch, not, not just launch beer, but to launch them in September. Um, then we kind of hold off in the last three months of the year, a little difficult to launch product. Most of the stores have their decisions made for the year, but mm -hmm. Chris, I was just going to say, you know, to touch on that, you know, we're lucky to represent uh, a lot of people in Kentucky. It's somewhere where Chris and I almost call home. We're there probably six to seven times a year. Um, mm -hmm. Talking about your story earlier today. I mean, the Willett Distillery has the first female president since prohibition that I believe in Kentucky uh, distilleries in Britt Colesveen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know that you've had uh, Becky from Kentucky Creek on when we talk about our local products. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really do believe that coming into fall, whether it's uh, women in wine and spirits or people that are getting involved in, in sort of getting back to basics. Um, we just kicked off Dry Creek Vineyards uh, out of Dry Creek in Sonoma, uh, Sonoma County in California. They just had their 50th anniversary uh, as a winery. And the eldest daughter, uh, Kim, has now taken over uh, all operations and control of the, the, the family business. And so it's just amazing to see these, these next generations taking over and a true succession plan instead of products that are just purchased by conglomerates. They de-escalate sort of where they're sourcing their product from and try to make a, keep the price the same uh, for, for a longer time frame than it really should. Cost mm -hmm. of things sometimes go up. And so the cost of those products goes up, but the quality is still there. And that's what we look for a lot as well in terms of new products that we're bringing to market. Hmm. And when you bring, is there a, is there a, infinite is there a point a finite point where you're like okay that's enough of the products like do you have to pick some take some in get some out you know do you have to purge a little bit yeah but it's within categories right so there's category management so we always have like we realize that we don't have a very strong uh portuguese book we don't have a lot of chilean wine like there are things that are always on the radar chris has been tasting um madeiras and ports because we only have one madeira producer um, so there's always things on the lookout. And that being said, as, uh, as, as Chris said, having a, a book that is manageable for our sales consultants means that we also have to take a, a hard look and say, are there things where we no longer align? And if we have that, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll reach out and we'll say, look, we think that there might be a better partner for you in this region. And we help them find another partner. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not common in our industry, but we believe that if we're trying to elevate our region, then it's always going to help us for both us and even our competition to have those products available in the marketplace. Well, I think that's a real smart way of doing this. Um, what about events for you guys? Um, is that something that is, do you just support events? Do you host events? How do you interact? I know you want to interact with the restaurants and the people who are buying from you, but how do you interact? Because you don't sell to the layperson, but how do you interact with the general public so that they learn about the products? So most of the events that we do are buyer driven or not so much consumer driven, they're for the trade. And mm -hmm. we just recently did a tasting at Duffy and we had 10 Austrian wine producers showcasing their newest vintage of wines. And we had a, a really strong showing from the, the wine buying community 
uh, both in DC and from, from Open State Maryland as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it complicates things a little bit when we when consumers are introduced because they're we're prohibited from selling to them and in right. some ways interacting with them in, in meaningful ways, even online to some of the laws regarding how distributors operate in the social media space are super archaic and don't make sense. So Alex, who we wanted to join, he's our compliance guy, he could have touched on that. But we, we, Mike and I tend to bend the rules when we can, but the our events are usually driven by the, the brands. A brand will support an event and, and then we're here locally to support them. So whether that's pouring at a table or we do in-store tastings that are kind of consumer driven. So if a store supports us and there's a, a great store called All of You in Maryland, they just put a huge display of Dry Creek Vineyards that we just launched. And we'll have our rep go in and do a tasting for their consumers, whether it's on a Friday or Thursday. So as the foot traffic's coming in, they, we can engage with them and kind of help influence their the, a decision on what they'll be buying that night. Mm -hmm. But the, any number of events that are in, in the market, we bring them, if they're brought to our attention, we'll bring them to our, our brand's attention. Again, it's the brand, it's the producer, it's their job to kind of build their brand and find what fits their brand. So sometimes we'll do something as a Detroit brands, like a specific table featuring some of our producers. Well, like you but, did at the uh, Rammies, right? Like you had, you partnered right with so. uh, Leading in DC and that was a lounge there. Although I'd like to register a complaint. Uh-oh. Do we run out of champagne too long? No, no, no. I was promised rosé. That's just number one. Uh -huh. And um, when I asked what white wine was being poured, what wine was being poured? Do you remember? You ate Riesling, so I know this answer. It's right? Riesling. It was Riesling. Yeah. I thought I was being trolled. I was like, seriously? Uh, champagne is white wine. It is dry. No, it no, no. Dry. I know, I know, no. I, I didn't know about the champagne. But uh, champagne. the champagne didn't last. But I think... But Nikki, you touch on a good point. I think the large brands, like I, I heard a podcast this morning about um, Pernod Ricard getting back into American whiskey with a couple of distilleries, but that they focused on Jameson for a very long time. I think right. a lot of people have walked into a restaurant or a bar where they've done like a buyback promotion where they're giving little half shots out to people or giving them a keychain or whatever else. Most of the things that we, rep most of the, uh, the suppliers that we represent don't do those types of market activations because they think of themselves as being a luxury brand where like a luxury brand doesn't do giveaways. So we had a champagne and Southern Rhone importer do a dinner at Baywood last night down at the, uh, in Millwood down by the beaches. Um, mm -hmm. And it was sold out for 80 people with a hundred person wait list. And so if we can partner with our customers to put on an event or a tasting that helps promote luxury goods in that way, we are a hundred percent behind it, but we don't put on our own events the way that, a Bud Light or a Jameson would hire people to do tastings. Is gotcha. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, all right. Well, listen, I want to, this has been incredibly informative and I think it's really important for people to understand how it goes from the distillery to the truck, to your drink in the restaurant. You know, not everybody knows how it all works and it's always good to, the more you know, right? So I think it's really important. So how does the general public stay in touch with what you were doing or with your restaurants or what's the best way for people to stay up to date? So Chris has been working on some of our social media to tie into things that our, our customers are doing with our products. Um, he can definitely give you those, those handles. But mm -hmm. I think also, uh, you know, I think people sometimes are afraid to ask questions when they're out and about. Ask your beverage professionals, both in restaurants and at retail, 
what's new and exciting in your shop, in your restaurant, and you will be surprised how excited they are to tell you about what they're learning. And then in turn, you will get to learn about the products you're tasting and, and enjoying. I love that. Okay. Chris, hit me up. Yeah. I mean, you've, our Instagram handle is Prestige Detroit. We're on Twitter, but we're not too active on that space. We're on Facebook. Uh, on my Instagram is Schmidstagram. And we, on both of them, will promote uh, events, not just ours, kind of industry events that are in and around the city. Um, but we're, we're constantly working on ways that we can interact with our community and touching on what Mike said, we look for less but more meaningful interactions with, with the consumers and how do we contribute to their experience in a way that helps make helps them make more informed decisions uh, down the road. And it, it's a... Uh, it's been a fun ride in doing so. And I think we're just getting started, but uh, Great. stay tuned on the prestige of Instagram, which we're handing off the reins to someone who's much more capable of, uh, of running than myself soon. So. Okay. Well, listen, I want to thank you both for joining me today. Nikki, thanks for having us. And thank you, Tammy, for letting us take some time out of, uh, on this show because her message is way more profound than ours and what she's doing is awesome. And uh, she, she included some of our, our team members, which was is exciting for us to see, but way more work to be done on that list than for uh, in our community. But thanks again, Nikki. So I hope you learned a lot today. You learned that there are tons of women in the beverage industry here in DC, and now you have a list to go to to learn all about it. So uh, don't forget to check out uh, DC Women & Wine so you can keep that list in your back pocket for whenever you need it. Uh, and uh, Chris and Mike are so great. Prestige LaJoy, they're doing such great things for the beverage industry here in DC. And I do think it's important to know what's in your glass and how it got there. Knowing the process is so important, uh, especially today with everything that's going on. So I wanna thank everybody for joining me today. A couple of uh, housekeeping notes. Uh, Restaurant Week is in full swing. And if you haven't made your reservations, you better get on it. Uh, a lot of restaurants, because it's August and things are slower, um, and a lot of people are traveling traveling again, yay. Uh, but that means some of the restaurants are kind of slow. So if you can go out, uh, definitely dig into Restaurant Week, check out some of those restaurants that maybe you think are out of your price range because now they're not. Uh, I will remind you to please be kind. Uh, servers are still in short supply and the restaurants participating in Restaurant Week are doing the very best they can to get your plate to the table and uh, you know do it in a hospitable way. So I ask you, the diner, to take your kindness pills and just be kind to everybody out there. So one last time, thank you for joining me today. Don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss the list areyouwanted.com that has everything we've talked about today, including every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. Tune in Sundays, 1500, Foodie and the Beast, the DC area's only food and wine variety show. <sighs> what else? I don't know, I'm everywhere, so it's hard to keep up. Everybody be careful out there and have a delicious week. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.